Welcome to the NESPP's Equity Expert Podcast, and thanks for joining us. I'm Barbara Baksha, and I'm the Executive Director of the NESPP. We had so much fun with our last half-empty, half-full format for the podcast that I decided to record another installment. But for this episode, we're going to focus on the SEC's proposed rules for 10b-51 trading plans. To give you a little background on what we'll be talking about, Rule 10b-51 provides a way for employees and other individuals to trade when they are in possession of material non-public information by creating a plan to trade in advance of when they came into possession of that information. It essentially provides a way for individuals to demonstrate that they made their decision to trade at a time when they were not in possession of material non-public information. Now, academics have long been suspicious of Rule 10b-51 plans, and that kind of came to a head over the past year. There were some 10b-51 trades by pharmaceutical executives that drew some scrutiny in the media. A study was released early last year identifying three red flags for Rule 10b-51 plans. Then some senators sent a letter to the SEC about it. Uh, SEC Chairman Gensler made remarks noting that the SEC was looking at Rule 10b-51. And then the SEC's Investor Advisory Committee took up the project and made some recommendations about the rule. And then all that culminated in December when the SEC issued proposed rules. So here we are. There is a lot to unpack and a lot to be either half empty or half full on in the proposed rules. So I've brought in an expert guest to help me out with this episode. I'm joined today by John Jenkins of CCR Corp. Those of you who read the corporatecouncil.net blog are familiar with John because he writes regularly for the blog and he's been blogging on the proposed 10b-51 rules, which is why I tapped him for this podcast. He is senior editor of the corporatecouncil.net, compensationstandards.com, and the DealLawyers.com websites, and he's also senior editor of the Corporate Council and Deal Lawyers print newsletters. And he's a partner at the Cleveland office of Kelphy, Halter, and Griswold, where he advises clients on capital market transactions and SEC compliance, merger and mergers and acquisitions, and corporate matters. John, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Barbara. I appreciate it. Uh, so let's get right into it on uh, the proposed 10b-51 rules, starting with the cooling off period. The SEC has proposed requiring a four-month cooling off period before trades can start under Rule 10b-51 plans. Where do you stand? Half empty or half full on this? Uh, I am decidedly half empty on that one, Barb. You know, some sort of a cooling off period has uh, has long been considered a, a best practice for 10b-51 plans, but most of those plans, cooling off periods range between 30 to 60 days. Uh, and I know people, including former SEC Chair, uh, Chair Jay Clayton, have thrown around the four to six month waiting period that's sort of embodied in this 120 day proposal. Uh, but I haven't really seen a compelling case for that length. Um, uh, you referenced the, the one study, the Stanford uh, study that suggests that plans with shorter waiting periods uh, result in greater loss avoidance, but that's the only empirical study that's addressed that thing. And it's a pretty slender read to, to, to base a requirement like this on. The other thing to keep in mind about cooling off periods is they're really for optics. From a legal standpoint under 10b-51, what matters as to whether you have, you know, an insider is able to take advantage of the affirmative defense is, is uh, whether that insider had material non-public information at the time the plan was established. If, if the, that person did, then it's not going to provide an affirmative defense no matter how long a waiting period you, you have. Uh, but I think with some of this, and we have to be realistic, you, know, you mentioned academics. I mean, it, it's academics, it's journalists, it's 
you know, uh, the Vox Populi. I mean, we're in a in a, a time of uh, very strong populist sentiment, uh, and there's a, just a real suspicion about uh, you know insider transactions. So I think uh, in, in in weighing on some of these things, at least, we have to keep in mind that optics does matter, and there's going to be a need to to uh, address some of the optical concerns. And I think that's what part of the SEC's proposals are here. But on this part of it, definitely half empty. Great. Thanks. Good to know. Uh, so next up, let's talk about overlapping plans. The SEC has also proposed a prohibition on overlapping 10B51 plans so that individuals could only have one plan in operation at a time. Half empty or half full on that? I guess I'm half empty on this one too, although let me say that most lawyers are not fans of maintaining multiple rule 10B51 plans. Uh, the risk that I think we all see on them is the possibility of calling into question uh, the insider's good faith. You know, if you have different plans with different provisions about modification and termination or pricing, et cetera, any terms that look like they might be contradictory, that looks like it raises questions about good faith or whether you're intending to evade the requirements of, uh, of 10b-51, and that would eliminate the ability of the affirmative defense too. But the thing is, I've not seen compelling reasons why there needs to be a rule about this. I think we need more data on how much of a problem this is Bearing in mind that since we've got no enforcement data to go on, this is all pretty much hypothetical. It's clearly not something I'd recommend, but do we need a rule? I'm not, I'm not so sure the answer to that is yes at this point. Okay. Uh, next up, single trade plans. And, and I got to admit, I'm a little surprised at the approach the SEC took with single trade plans. Under the proposal, single trade plans are permissible, but would be limited to just one per year. What do you think? Half empty or half full? I, you know, this one's a real close call for me, but I would say half full. The whole idea of, of a 10B51 plan is really kind of an implementing a portfolio diversification strategy for insiders who typically, as, as all your listeners know, have a disproportionate amount of their net worth tied up in uh, the stock of the companies that they work for. And it just makes sense and it's unfair not to allow them to diversify. When you have a single trade plan, it, it just looks more suspicious on its face. It looks opportunistic. Uh, as opposed to part of a, of a rational portfolio diversification strategy. And I can see why that might raise some eyebrows. So, you know, this is one of those where, to me, the optics almost <clears throat> weighs the scales a little bit and, and makes it uh, uh, half full for me as opposed to um, uh, half empty. I don't think they should be banned because there may well be legitimate reasons for an individual insider to implement a plan given the you know, particular circumstances that he or she finds themselves in. But uh, I, I do think that um, uh, some limits on these plans are, are probably appropriate. Great. Thanks. Uh, all right. Uh, another thing that surprised me in the SEC's proposal uh, is the proposal to require that 10B51 plans be operated in good faith. Uh, and I was surprised because I had perhaps naively assumed that this was already a requirement. But as a non-lawyer, maybe I just don't fully understand the legal implications of a good faith requirement. Uh, what do you think? Are you half empty or half full on the good faith requirement? You know, I'm half full on this one because I, I think it's really more of a clarification than a new requirement. Uh, you're right. The rule already does require that a plan, uh, there's a good faith element to the plan, but it focuses on uh, the plan being entered into in good faith. Uh, now, the SEC has taken the position that subsequent actions like uh, amendments and modifications to a plan, well-timed terminations of the plan, et cetera, can call into question whether the plan was established in good faith. So I think what the SEC, the SEC has been, uh, you know, uh, operating all along as if there was already a requirement that plans be operated in good faith, but it had to engage in a little bit of time travel to get there because it was basically saying, 
your subsequent actions call into question the state, your state of mind when you put the plan in place. This, I think, makes it easier for them to raise that issue, you know, without this sort of time travel exercise. So I think it's really more of a clarification, and I'm on the half full side on that one. And then the last topic I wanted to get to before we get to the speed round uh, is the certification requirement. The SEC has proposed requiring officers and directors to certify in writing when they adopt a 10B51 plan that they aren't in possession of material non-public information and are adopting the plan in good faith. What do you think, half empty or half full on this? Uh, I think this one's half empty. Uh, this is a rule that only a bureaucrat could love. It's basically papering the file. It, it really doesn't add anything substantive to the process. I think particularly since almost all insider trading policies require a 10B5 plan to be run past the company's counsel, adopted only during a window period. I mean, there are all sorts of baggage in there. And, and, and many companies, you know, some companies may require this internal certification as well. But I just don't think that this really adds much to the mix and is really something that needs to be imposed by the SEC for the availability of the 10B51 affirmative defense. All right, great. Like I said, there's a lot to unpack in the rules. In order to keep this podcast to a reasonable length, I've created a speed round where I've picked some of the things that I was a little bit less interested in. Um, we're just going to go through them very quickly, and I'll ask you sort of half empty and half full on them. First topic in my speed round is quarterly disclosure of 10B51 plans adopted or terminated by officers and directors. Half empty or half full? Half full. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. Okay. A rule 10B51 checkbox on forms four and five. Half full. I've always thought that's a pretty good defensive action for an insider to take already, you know, in case plaintiffs are trolling that and, and see un, uh, unusually timed trades. Okay. Requiring gifts to be reported on form four. Uh, half empty. Uh, it's going to create a compliance problem, I think, for a lot of companies with their insider trading plans. Practically, you're going to end up having to pre-clear gifts just like you would trades. Not every insider trading policy does that. So, And it's going to be very hard to accommodate year-end gifting here. Annual disclosure of insider trading policies informs 10K and proxy statements. Half empty, and that's because of the level of detail that the SEC seems to be looking for here. Okay. And finally, requiring tabular disclosure of options granted to named executive officers or directors within 14 calendar days before or after company filings and repurchases. I'm half full on this one. As you can tell, I'm generally a fan of disclosure when it isn't unduly burdensome. Um, again, the fundamental problem is the deep suspicion of insider tra transactions. Uh, so I don't think substantive limits on the availability of 10B51 defense are generally appropriate, but more transparency around insider transactions, the better. Great. All right. Well, those were all of my questions for you. Uh, anything else you would want to say about the proposed 10B51 rules? You know, just to pick up on the introductory comments that you make, Barbara, uh, the, you know, academics hate 10B51. And as a group, they're very deeply cynical about insider transactions. They think there's much more insider trading going on under the guise of these 10B51 plans. The SEC chair is an academic. His chief counsel is an academic. The head of Corp Fin is an academic. I think, frankly, the last time we had this high level number of uh, academics in government, we ended up in Vietnam. So the rules are a wish list of academic ideas uh, that are designed to restrict insiders' ability to, to, to trade. But there's a big problem, I think, here, and that is that there's, there's really not a lot of hard data here to support this. There haven't been 10B51 enforcement proceedings out there. Uh, in fact, uh, last you referenced the Democratic senators asking Acting Chair Lee to give them a list of 10B51 enforcement proceedings over the past five years, and she came up with exactly none. 
Instead, the best she could do was, was provide a list of a half dozen cases in which 10B51 was mentioned in the pleadings. So that's why I think I would encourage NAS members and others involved in executive compensation really to weigh in the comment process here. There has been a shortage of real world input into this entire rulemaking process and it's desperately needed. And so I would encourage folks to, to have their companies weigh in on this one. It's gonna be important. Thanks. All right, well, before we wrap things up, is there anything going on at CCR Corp that NASPP members might be interested in? Well, I would refer your members to, uh, we just did a great webcast on, on uh, the 10B51 proposals uh, that uh, uh, Dave Lynn and several other former senior SEC staff were commenting on. That was on the corporatecouncil.net and that that's, uh, will be available there. We have an archive for it. We are also having a uh, webcast addressing proxy, proxy compensation disclosure at 2 p.m. on the 19th, and that's on compensationstandards.com. And also, I would encourage everybody to go visit our new practical ESG site, take a stroll around there and see what uh, we've, been, we've been posting uh, on ESG-related subjects. Awesome. Thanks. Those sound like some great resources for our members. All right. Well, this is a wrap on this edition of the podcast. For those of you who want to know, know more about the proposed uh, rules and the, and the ten, whole 10B51 plan saga that's played out over the past year, uh, we have been following all of this in the NASPP blog. And in December, I posted an entry summarizing the SEC's proposal that you can check out. And then there's also the uh, webcast that John just mentioned. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Barbara. Thank you very much. Your insight has been really helpful and informative, and, uh, and thanks to our audience for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe so that you are notified when we post new episodes of the podcast.